and welcome to a bonus edition of the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. This Sunday, The Athletic will be hosting its own Player of the Year Awards Night. Our writers and podcast hosts have voted across a number of categories and from 7 o'clock on Sunday evening, we'll be announcing the winners. All this week on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast, we've been announcing the shortlist for each category. Uh, we kicked off with Young Player of the Year on Tuesday, Underrated Player of the Year on Wednesday. Yesterday, it was Team of the Year. So that only leaves one category left for us today, the shortlist for the two main awards, the Men's and Women's Player of the Year. To find out the winners on Sunday night, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and download the app, and you can get a 90-day free trial now by going to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and chat. So let's get on with the show and announce the first of our two shortlists. We'll start with the Women's Player of the Year and then we'll uh, reveal the men's and discuss it with our team of athletic journalists. However, uh, as far as the women are concerned, Beth England from Chelsea is the first one. Uh, she scored a 30-yard wonder goal in Chelsea's opening game of the season against Tottenham at Stamford Bridge, and that really set the tone for her season. She also got a 92nd-minute winner in the League Cup final against Arsenal in February. Uh, second on the list, Rachel Furness from Liverpool, who signed for bottom-of-the-table Liverpool from Reading in December, having spent the first half of the season on loan at Spurs. She's made a significant impact, scoring four goals in her first four matches. Next, we have Vivian Miedemar at Arsenal, last season's PFA Player of the Year, the current WSL top scorer with 16 goals. She scored six and set up four in Arsenal's record 11-1 win against Bristol City in December. Next, we've got Guro Wrighton, who has had an impressive debut season with Chelsea. Uh, the Norway international has got five goals and eight assists in 15 matches. Chloe Kelly from Everton is our fifth name on the list. She signed from Arsenal in January 2018, and she's made herself uh, a key part of Willie Kirk's Everton team. She also earned a place in Phil Neville's squad for the She Believes Cup. And finally, another player from Chelsea, the th third on this list, and it's Sophie Ingle, known as the Rolls-Royce of the Wales squad among her teammates. The holding midfielder scored an excellent, albeit uncharacteristic, albeit uncharacteristic 25-yard half volley in Chelsea's emphatic 4-1 victory over the champions Arsenal in January. So that's the shortlist for the women. Beth England, Rachel Furness, Vivian Miedemar, Guru Wrighton, Chloe Kelly and Sophie Ingle. As far as the men are concerned, four players from Liverpool are on the list. Sadio Mane, Virgil van Dijk, Jordan Henderson and Trent Alexander-Arnold. Jamie Vardy from Leicester is also on the list and Manchester City's only representative is Kevin De Bruyne. We have all the stats to back up their nominations and we're going to discuss it uh, with Ollie Kay, Sam Lee and Simon Hughes over the next half hour or so. Does it feel right to you, Simon, that there are four Liverpool players on that list? I think so, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I tend to see more Liverpool games than other teams. And, um, you know, there's a few other players who, who, who probably could have made the list if you were asked to, to, to supply a, a list of six players. And I had, I think I had Jeannie Wijnaldum in there as well. Mo Salah's not even on that list. And I know people who might not watch Liverpool quite as much, perhaps a bit critical of them sometimes. And a lot of Liverpool fans are critical of him as well, so, you know, throughout the course of the season for perhaps not reaching the feats that he, he did a couple of seasons ago. But I actually 
think his performances this season have been really, really good and sort of shown a def- very different side of his game. He's Liverpool's top goal scorer. So you could have had re- really sort of six or seven Liverpool players. I mean, Alisson Becker as well. I know he's missed a fair bit of the season at the, at the start of the campaign, but, you know, when he, when he has been there, he's just been consistently very, very, very good. You know, he's, as far as I'm concerned, the best goalkeeper that I've seen play for Liverpool in, in the Premier League era but the, the four the four that I've been on there are there by you know by good reason and for me it was it was Jordan Henderson at the very top of that all right well we'll come on to we'll come on to why Jordan Henderson will be at the very top of that for you uh, very shortly uh Ollie um for Liverpool one Manchester City one Leicester so you've got representatives of the top three in the Premier League is, is that balance right or does it do a disservice to I don't know maybe a a Wolves player or a Sheffield United player? Are, are there some who have been unfairly forgotten here? We've also had to do uh, teams of the season. I, I, I certainly found um, space for a Wolves player in mine and I think it was one or two Sheffield United players. I, I think more than ever this season, the real quality has been right at the top. People will say, oh, Jack Grealish has been great. He's been very good. But I think Liverpool's dominance has been such, as with Man City, two seasons ago that it's felt like a, a one-horse race really. I think it'd be strange if, if there weren't three or four or five Liverpool players in most people's shortlist and I think Kevin De Bruyne's case is absolutely compelling and I'm sure we'll go on to him I think people will often say oh that there should be more of a spread from throughout the, the league but I think really the, the standout performers have been from those two, well, from those three clubs, really. I, I think if we were doing a top 15, I think probably 13 of, of mine would probably come from those three clubs as well. I, I think they're, I think they've been that good, and, and, and Liverpool in particular. For the men's player of the year last year, uh, Sam, which was always quite interesting, the, the, the argument was that because Manchester City had been collectively brilliant, it was difficult to, to single out a standout performer. This year... Have they been less collectively brilliant and therefore it's very easy to pick out their standout performer? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And weirdly, if you go back a season before that, and I know there's rankles with a lot of City fans still, but obviously when City won the 100 points, it was Salah who got the player of the year. And it was De Bruyne who was, even even though City had been collectively brilliant, it was De Bruyne who was still the standout player. They didn't have that so much last season. But now, yeah, you're absolutely right. They've not been... They've not been anywhere near their best, let's be honest. And if it wasn't for De Bruyne, I think they'd, they'd have been in a, in a lot worse of, of a position when when football um, stopped last month. So yes, it's it's very easy to, to recognise De Bruyne's ability. And I think that's especially the case because if you look at some of the top quality players whose performances have dropped this season, which is basically everybody at City, apart from maybe Aguero, if we're talking Sterling and Bernardo Silva and David Silva in particular... The fact that De Bruyne has probably got better is another, you know, another tick in his box, basically. He leads the way in the Premier League with 16 assists this season. Let, let's start with him. And you would say, and you, you kind of insinuated there, Sam, that, that at times he's carried City single-handedly. Yeah, he has. And obviously the gap between City and Liverpool is massive and has, has got gradually bigger over the season. But from my point of view, at least, the damage was done early on. You know, they when they fell back and the results that really damaged the morale um, when when they lost at Norwich and they lost against Wolves, they looked very predictable and one pace. They couldn't break the opposition down. And De Bruyne, he didn't start against Norwich. He was on the bench and he didn't play at all against Wolves. And I think that's a very basic 
but very effective and, and accurate way of of looking at their problems. And there's been other games this season where he has been the difference because we've seen so many times, and you mentioned the assists there, the 16 of them, and obviously the record is is 19 with Thierry Henry's. And if you ignore the fact that a lot of his teammates have fluffed very good opportunities that he's put on a plate for them, but of those 16, you've got people scoring tap-ins from two or three yards out into an empty net because he's just got that ability to find the right run from nowhere even if the rest of the the rest of the team aren't having their best day and he's done that you know of those 16 assists at least 10 of those fall into that category so yeah if it wasn't for him I think I don't think it's been a crisis at City this season by any means but I think if it wasn't for him I think people would be using that word a bit more often Oli on De Bruyne he's been absolutely brilliant was at the game at the Bernabeu what was it probably about two months ago now it feels like about 12 months ago and he was brilliant that night I know I know people were probably convinced of that by the, by the fact that he scored a penalty but his performance all, all night I thought was absolutely fantastic in, in a in an unconventional role and as Sam says when you watch City this season you often felt that nine or ten of the cogs aren't, aren't really working properly but De Bruyne has just been um, outstanding he's got that sort of um, I mean he's a different player but he's got that sort of Roy Keane Steven Gerrard kind of drive about him and I, I would I would always use that word drive when I'm watching him he, he's got he's got the beautiful delicate touches he's got that sort of Beckham-esque right for, for delivery but he's also got an intelligence but he's also got that drive he's always driving them forward I think do you think, do you think when, that drive is underrated or or in some ways not noticed because he's a different type of player to Gerard and Keane maybe maybe he hasn't got that that physicality that edge that you know willing to well he does put his foot in but do you know yeah. what I mean the perce- the perception of Gerard and Keane as box to box midfielders was always there whereas De Bruyne can be used in a whole variety of positions I think maybe because he came into everybody's consciousness really as, as a as a number 10 or as a or as a, even as a wide player sometimes at Chelsea and I think people sort of think of him as a dainty creative type floaty creative type but he, he's not he's he's got real drive and physicality and intensity about about him and and plays very forcefully he's a he's you know he's, he's quiet but a forceful character as well I think he's been absolutely superb and he's definitely in my top two I think he's the best player in the league but I don't think he's going to win this award I don't think he should win this award but I do think in terms of quality I do think he's the best player in the Premier League he's definitely the best player that I think has been at Anfield this season I know Manchester City lost that game 3-1 but it was probably not quite a reflection on the way that game went certainly in terms of the possession and the way City dominated Liverpool in part of the game and and I think at, at that you know, in that game, De Bruyne was just just right at the heart of all of that. I mean, him and him and Sterling particularly were, were, were just brilliant that day. And to lose three one, having given that performance, you know, I think he would have felt quite hard done to. There are there aren't many weaknesses in this Liverpool team, but but he is the kind of player that would take them to another level. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's the one area of the pitch, isn't it? where yeah. people sort of speculate can Liverpool do a bit more and I, I think that they can I mean at the moment they've got sort of three industrious sort of players that definitely um, have the legs and, and, and ability to get across the pitch and cover the gaps which allows I suppose without getting too technical the fullbacks to to get forwards and, and the forward players to do what they do but you know I think the, there's one area of the pitch obviously they, they haven't really delivered many assists from the central centre of midfield and, and, and as many goals as many other teams might but that is the way that the team structured it I think it's structured deliberately that way um, it's not sort of Jürgen Klopp's asking for more from those midfielders but I just think at certain games 
you know, they, they maybe miss that 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 little that that spark, that that bit of excitement that a midfielder like De Bruyne could bring. Because I agree with what Ali says there. He is the closest thing uh, I think that I've seen in the Premier League since Steven Gerrard left. And I remember the, I think it was a game at Sheffield United. I might I might be wrong. Where his cross was just you know Gerrard esque. You know, just just incredible and. Yeah, there's no doubt if he was available and, and uh, <laughs> there was a chance Liverpool could get him. I'm sure they'd be, they'd be happy to take him, but I think he's a bit out of the range, to be honest. Jamie Vardy, and then we'll do the Liverpool players uh, in a group. Jamie Vardy, top scorer in the Premier League, 19 goals in 26 games, four assists. I'm guessing nobody doubts he deserves to be on the list. And probably, Sam, that Brendan Rodgers deserves credit for him being on the list. In, in how he has coached Jamie Vardy and got the best out of him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember, I think it was back towards the start of the season, I think it was our colleague Stuart James did a piece at the training ground at Leicester and Rogers was explaining a lot of the work they were doing. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because it, it overlaps nicely with exactly what's happened there. And obviously, you know, to get Leicester, obviously fine, they won it. They have won it recently. But to get them up there challenging this year and playing the football they've played, it is a testament to the coaching going on. And particularly when it comes to Vardy, it, it's very easy. And you can imagine previous managers have thought, well, it's Jamie Vardy. He can run all day. He, you know, if you ask him to go and chase the left back down, he'll do it. So that's, that's his style of play. We're going to get him to do that. And that, on the face of it, makes complete sense. But I think what Rodgers has done this season is said, no, we don't want you doing that. We want you to work basically within the confines of the penalty area, or at least the width of the penalty area. Save your energy for those for those runs that you're going to get, or the, the runs you need to make to create the options for other players. Um, save your energy for those chances you might get. And I, I read um, kind of Wayne Rooney's finishing masterclass article in the Times over the weekend. He mentioned that. You know, he worked on his fitness and he always used to charge around the pitch. But Ferguson told him, you know, we, you're always knackered in the last 10 minutes and the chance you might get to win the game when you're playing as a number nine in particular might come along in the last minute. So we need you to be fit. And I think that's the subtle change that Brendan Rodgers has made to Jamie Vardy at this stage of his career. And, you know, he's kind of having an Indian summer because of that coaching. Simon? Yeah, well, he, he was in my, my top six as well. I mean, to score... The number of goals that he scored at that age and, and sort of refine his game. I think that that alone is is an achievement. I think people sort of maybe considered that that sort of change might be beyond Vardy, but I think it, it is a testament to Brendan Rodgers' sort of vision for this team that, that he's been able to sort of cajole him and convince him that this is this is the way forward for him. And you know, again, I don't want to sort of dilute everything to what I've seen when Liverpool played teams, but certainly at Anfield this season, Vardy, you know, he was sort of very, very quiet, you know, throughout the whole of the game, you know, backing up what Sam says. And then suddenly when Leicester equalised, and pretty certainly had a role in that, in front of the cop, I think it was James Madison that equalised in that game. And you just remember then that that threat is always there. And he's, uh, I've always liked Jamie Vardy, I think is an amazing story that he's he's had to get to where he is and to, to be able to to change and refine his game at this stage of his career. Because I think people still, because he came into the Premier League quite late, people sort of still think that he's quite a young player. But let's not forget, he's he's in his early 30s. He's not playing for England anymore because he wanted to extend his Premier League career. And to be able to evolve in such a way at that age when he's still got, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of pace, you know, it's the it's pace that frightens defenders the most. 
to be able to to change that style of his game at that age, I think is really impressive. And then to score that number of goals and and catapult Leicester into great position, you know, I think I think you know it definitely definitely means that he's got to be be up there to be a candidate for player of the year. Certainly, I think if you look at the list of the top scorers race with Aubameyang and Salah and Aguero and Ings, I'd say of those five high scorers, prolific scorers, I think Vardy has been the one that's really um, caught the eye. But it also all the more impressive at 33 and, and to be sort of changing his game and, and just thriving on possession-based approach, whereas he previously thrived in a sort of counter-attacking approach under Ranieri. I, I think it's... I think it's it's different. It's interesting, and it's and it shows that even at that age, good players can adapt to different ways of playing. And I think he's been. Um, I, I think and have to be and time. have to be open, open to adapting to different ways of change of of playing as well, which not all players are. Yeah, and he, funnily enough, didn't seem to be that open to some of the suggestions under under Claude Powell. But I think Rogers came in and and sort of pressed the right buttons with Vardy immediately, and and you know Vardy's. Absolutely thrived under Rogers, and I, you know, I think Rogers deserves a lot of credit there as well. I, I think Le- Leicester have been um, very impressive, and it's good to see at least one of their players in there on the list. So let's deal with the four Liverpool players then: Sadio Mane, Virgil Van Dijk, Jordan Henderson, and Trent Alexander-Arnold. Why at the start, Simon, did you say that Henderson leads that group? Well, I just think he's been the most consistent of them all. I mean, it, you tend not always to get award winners who don't deliver big moments that people talk about for a long time. And I suppose Jordan as 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 not been a you know a dramatic goal scorer or even an assist maker, but he's he you know, Ollie mentioned that word drive before about De Bruyne and he's been, as far as I'm concerned, the drive behind this Liverpool team, the the player that's that's kept the focus and kept players on the toes at all times. You know it's sort of become repetitive listening to him giving post-match interviews, talking about the next game. But I do think he actually lives his sort of sporting life in that way. And it, it means that very few players are able to to lose their focus. And it explains why Liverpool have been on such an amazing run. You know, let's not forget that. And I remember, you know, sort of last season when he won the Champions League, I thought, you know, will this will this kick him on a little bit more? Because he, he's sort of been at Liverpool for such a long time and missed out on everything there was to win. And it, since then, I think he's always known that he was sort of a Liverpool player, a Liverpool, oh, sorry, he's always believed that he's a Liverpool captain, a Liverpool player. But now he's played this season like he knows he is you know there's been times I don't want to get too excessive but you know there's been some sort of Gerard-esque influence on 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 some performances lead by example on the pitch you know he's conducted himself occasionally you know like Graeme Souness I don't want to sound too too dramatic when I say that but he, he you know he's at the forefront of everything the aggressive side of his game I'd say he's as aggressive as any player can be in the modern game, the way he plays the game. And, you know, is is the one thing that people sort of may have not quite noticed. I think his passion range has been incredible this season. People talk about the way Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, sprays the ball from one side of the pitch to the other. And, and Jordan Henderson, I think this season's proven that he can do do that similarly. You know, he, there's been so many games where you would say that he he's given an eight or nine or nine out of 10 performance. You know, I've, I've sort of lost count. Although you wouldn't always say he's been the most outstanding player because it's been a, a season of being out, outstanding players, which has been spread across the Liverpool team at different games. But he's always been 
certainly one of the top two or three players on the pitch for Liverpool and obviously to win the title if whenever they do win it he'd be the first Liverpool captain to to lift the, the European Cup of the Champions League and, and obviously the league title in successive seasons since, since Graham Souness which I think sort of really shows you what an achievement that is because the saddle of history that's been on his back he's been able to overcome that really so so does the, does the captain does the captaincy and that leadership drive do you take that into account when when looking at the player of the season I do in this instance because of Liverpool's achievements and because of Liverpool's history the significance of being a Liverpool captain you know I think I think sort of it's, it's quite odd Liverpool because Liverpool is quite an anti-authoritarian city and yet the captain and the manager their responsibilities and, and, and sort of say in the team is paramount to everything that happens I think at other club, maybe maybe sort of might be more of a British thing, you know. That the, the captain is holds more kudos in some ways. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. But certainly being captain of Liverpool, being the successor of Steven Gerrard, having the story that he's had, which has been in line with Liverpool's frustrations over the last ten years, to go and and do it in this fashion, in the way that he's performed. I mean, he's he's. We spoke about Jamie Vardy there about sort of changing his position, and I think Jordan Henderson over the last. Um, 12, 18 months, he's shown that he is a very versatile player and can perform just as well in whatever role he's been asked to play because there's been, he started off the season playing a much higher position in the team and was was very influential and then when Fabinho got injured, played the holding role again and was was fantastic again, just slipped back into that position, you know, with ease, popped up with a couple of goals. You can see that the the fire in him, he's just absolutely desperate to to go and achieve something at a, a later point in his career than, than, than most players. And I'll just finish on the point that, you know, that he's, I think he's 28, 29 now. You know, there's a lot of players in football, I think, who sort of, it's become more of a modern trend that, that, that it's, it's a, a, sort of a younger player's game. And he's been very patient, really, to to sort of be able to achieve what he's achieving now at a later stage in his career. And I think that's a really positive message to send out to players as well, I think. I think that last point, actually, is is really interesting, Sam, on the, you know, it has been a gradual development with Jordan Henderson's career. Yes, he may have sort of burst onto the scene at Sunderland and he'd been on loan at Coventry, but his Liverpool career has has been a battle, really, to get to where he is now. Yeah, I suppose it has. And I suppose, from my point of view, I'm I'm glad Sai's been able to explain that all to me because, and I know I'm wrong about this, but I, I don't get Jordan Henderson as much as the whole world does. And I'm not so stubborn to think that the whole world is wrong and I'm right. Not on this subject, anyway. But, <laughs> but I... But I'm just not sure. <laughs> to go back to your question, I realise this is my own issue that I need to get over. But I can't get his performance against Croatia in the World Cup semi-final out of my head because he was terrible. And I thought that showed all the shortcomings in his game. And I think when we're talking about technical ability and comparing him to De Bruyne, for example, I don't think they can be mentioned in the same sentence. But I think as in terms of yeah, dedication and drive and commitment and understanding what's asked of him from Klopp and you know Klopp's fantastic coaching setup um, you can't really argue with that but I, I'm still can't, I still go back to that thing about is are these players good players in their own right as well as the contribution they've made and I would like the winner of this award to have both and I, I, and I know I'm wrong and I know I'm wrong but I I wouldn't have I don't even think I had Henderson in my top six which again I know I know loads of people say oh, I'm an idiot and I probably am but I just but 
I would rather but, go but, for Van Dijk of, of Liverpool than, than Henderson, for example. But the footballer of the year over over many, many years will have examples of individual brilliance winning the award in team teams that are ineffective and maybe not, you know, not Ballon d'Or standard footballers winning the award in teams that have delivered. That's part and parcel of the award, isn't it? It is, yeah. But, I mean, but at the same time, if I was... You know, you, you vote on your own criteria. If that was the case, then I think everybody would vote for the same player every year, but it's always different and different years have seem to have different criteria. Like I mentioned before, Salah winning it a couple of years ago. I know that bothers City fans. It doesn't bother me because you have to remember how good Salah was. And I remember the context of the time of how, how unbelievable he was. He was a whirlwind there, but... I would have said De Bruyne deserved it because he was a whirlwind as well, and he won the league. If you know, if Salah had done that this season, and Liverpool had won the league, he would he should win it in my opinion. I think Van Dijk would be because I know Van Dijk hasn't been as good as last year, just marginally worse. But I think in his own right, he's a great footballer, and he's had a great season. Can can I just raise a point here? It's just it's just on the England issue. I wonder whether Belgium fans would remember Kevin De Bruyne's performance. For Belgium against France in the World Cup semi-final in the very same competition, because he, he was anonymous in that in that game. I, I, I take I take your point. He, like Jordan isn't on the same level of technical ability as 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 a, someone like Kevin De Bruyne. But you know, I just think that this season is his influence has been. I think because the, the the nature of the way that this Liverpool team set up, I spoke about it a little bit at the beginning, where the midfield is sort of is as a very specific role in terms of its work rate over, you know, supplying the ammunition for the forward line. That's the responsibility of the fullbacks. It means that a lot of the work I think the midfield does sort of goes unrecognised sometimes. But the more you watch the Liverpool team and the more you see how sort of Jordan has has, has had this prevailing influence over the, the structure and the and the sort of the, the, the social aspect of the team. I just think it's he's been absolutely crucial to Liverpool's success success this season. And I'm not I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I personally don't get that into <laughs> it's my okay, brain. don't worry. I did I did sound like some sort of Twitter nerd there pull, pulling you off for De Bruyne's performance. <laughs> I, I do wonder whether there's an interesting comparison, which I'll come back to in a minute, because Ollie hasn't had his say on this. And and if Sam is on one side and in his words the rest of the world is on the other um, are you with the rest of the world, Ollie? I don't think it is the rest of the world. I think there will be a lot of people who will who will be like Sam, thinking, "Well, hang on. Whenever I watch Jordan Henderson, he's he's good, but he doesn't he doesn't stand out." I'm sure his stats were much better in 2014-15 when he was a probably more of a standout player in terms of goals and, uh, and assists and all that kind of thing in a in a team that was playing really poorly. If you watch Liverpool, it's when you see his role over that long term, over the long term that season, you see they're very very consistent. But he has been the the real constant and. If you look at the number of games, it's not been like a Man City-like season of, of two seasons ago where they've been sweeping teams aside 5-0, 6-0, 7-0, etc. I think 14 of their 27 wins have been by a single goal. There have been a lot of those games have, have come down to sheer will. In, just in just way, to play devil's advocate the though, if, if Henderson was a better technical player, would they not have won more of the games 4 or 5-0? I, I can totally understand people not getting Henderson if they've not watched a lot of Liverpool this season and if they watch Match of the Day or if they watch you know a handful of games on Sky or particularly if you know like you and probably like a lot of our listeners will probably have the Jordan Henderson of, of Moscow in 2018 in the, in their mind or, or Jordan Henderson of, of you know the previous World Cup or the previous Euros in their mind 
he has been in, in this Liverpool team, which has racked up wins like no team has ever done in in in, in English football history. He has been the, the defining player, I think, in the way that De Bruyne was for Manchester City two seasons ago. And I think because so many of those games, those some, some of those wins, their, their defining quality hasn't been the sort of swashbuckling flair of the early clock years. It's been that winning mentality and that drive and that desperation to win games that where they've been drawing in the, the final 15 minutes. He's stood out in the way that you know, Roy Keane would often be the one that would stand out over the course of the season more than Beckham and, and, and Skulls and Giggs at Manchester United 20 years ago. If there was one of the other Liverpool players to, to push him close here, Simon, would that be Alexander-Arnold? Surely it would. Yeah, for, for me it would, yeah. I, I think I had him second and then De Bruyne third in, in my in my list. Yeah, I mean, for again, he, he's just been incredible. I mean, I... I think he's. I don't want to say he's redefined the position because I'm aware that other other players in his position have contributed a great deal in the attacking third. But to deliver the number of assists that he has consistently, you know, to be getting hat tricks of assists, to be getting two assists in a game from that position is just incredible. And people talk about Van Dijk being the most important player, which he's obviously incredible. The goalkeeper, yeah. But now I think this Liverpool team, the way it is, it, it, it's if you take anybody out of it, it, you do feel like there's potential for a drop because the standard is is so high. I mean, you, but when but what you have, tra- but what you have seen, Simon, I suppose what you have seen is teams try and ne- neutralise Liverpool's fullbacks. You know, Robertson as well, but Alexander Arnold in in particular. And if they do get to neutralise Liverpool's fullbacks, that can cause. Liverpool problem. So when the opponents are setting out to neutralise your right back, <laughs> it shows a his importance and 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 b his brilliance. Well, it does. I mean, I think that that that's the in some ways perhaps the genius of Klopp because if you're trying to stop the right back, you've then also got to stop the fella in front of him who's Mo Salah. You know, it's quite a challenge that really, isn't it? You know, it, it's I'd say probably stopping the fullbacks is probably one of the, the biggest challenges in football in many ways because. There's only so much you can do as a as an as an opposition manager. You just forsake two two attacking players on that side of the pitch to try and shut it down. It, I think it's something that a lot of managers are trying to figure out at the moment. And I don't think many teams have stopped Trent this season. I can't think of many games where I've thought you know the other team has stopped him. It's 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 only maybe been down to a drop in levels in his game. Which let's face it, he's still a relatively young player. He's Twenty one. He's been learning the game at the very, very highest level, you know, since he came into the Liverpool team. They've had two Champions League final appearances, two obviously uh goes at the Premier League. He's 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 grown again this season after an incredible season last season. I remember I mean it's a game that I talk about a lot on different podcasts with the Athletic and I remember the, being at the Aston Villa game earlier this season and you you can all you can engage a lot by what sort of other fans think sometimes and, and see. And I remember there was a couple of passes that, that Trent just sprayed across the pitch and totally switched the play in 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 you know in in a second and they, they were all like various Villa fans were comparing them to, I mean, I, I appreciate Villa being playing championship football for the last couple of years, but you know, they, they were saying he's just, just like Gerard. And I, I actually think his, his passing ability is perhaps even greater, potentially even better than Gerard, which is, which is saying a lot. I mean, I know he's got a lot more time on the ball and everything else playing in that position, but I just don't know how you stop him really. I, I'd, I'd be really interested to know from a, a, you know, some sort of great tactician, how you stop 
a fullback when you know he can deliver with such position and 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 his his positional sense is so good and I, I appreciate he probably just needs to to improve defensively a little bit at certain in certain element you know certain times but maybe that will come maybe it doesn't need to come maybe Liverpool are so good going forward that that you can't stop them for me he's just scored the goal of the season as well at Le- for me one of the goals of the season anyway at Leicester with the the uh, the sweeping move that I think made it three or four nil. I mean, he he was just unstoppable that night. Does he fit the uh, Sam uh, Lee category <laughs> for uh, for Player of the Year? No, I d- I just don't get him either. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, he's really good. He's really good. Um, but keep him as a right back. I've seen a lot of debate during the season of oh he should move into midfield no keep him where he is because as I said you know he does he does get a bit more space there but that that's why he's that's part of why he's so good you know and part of why he's so difficult to stop is the areas he arrives from which actually De Bruyne has a couple of times he started at right back and drifted forward because obviously nobody's making plans for that when you've got so many other players up there on the side of the pitch keep him where he is um but yeah um he's 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 right up there I can't remember even even if I did an order when I voted I think I might have just put names forward um, everything seems to be a blur these days, but um, <laughs> Alexander Arnold would be would be right up there. He is he is amazing. Um, and yeah, that, that that Leicester game is the one standout that everyone's going to look back on. Okay, just a final one then, and I, I wonder why none of you have really spoken about Sadio Mane. And I, I suppose the answer could be, well, you haven't asked us a question about Sadio <laughs> Mane. But it, I mean, bearing in mind, Gerard has cropped up several times in, in conversations and so on and so forth. I wonder why Mane and Alisson has and you know, Salah has and Wijnaldum has. I wonder why Mane hasn't massively cropped up. 14 goals, seven Premier League assists, more important goals, you could argue, at important times over the course of this season. Bar the inept uh, questioning of the host, why haven't we mentioned him, Sam? You can't mention what Liverpool have done this season without Mane. As I said right at the start about, you know, the kind of criticism that Salah gets now because he hasn't lived up to those standards from two years ago, which is incredibly unfair. He's become a victim of his own incredible success in that sense. But because he's not quite hit those heights, um, and I dare say because a lot of people put him in their fantasy football teams at great cost and he doesn't get the goals that Mane does, it's easier to focus on Mane and, and see this guy and say, He's the one getting all the goals. He's the one getting all the assists. And because Liverpool's front three get so many of their goals, is it Van Dijk who's the the fourth top scorer in that team and he's only got four? Um, Because that front three get through so many of the goals and Mane gets more than the other two, I I think it's it's inevitable that, yeah, he he will be mentioned and it's inevitable that he is being mentioned here. And... And rightly so, because he is incredibly important to them. And the extra thing, on top of just delivering in terms of the numbers, is he's got that extra kind of magic that, you know, you enjoy watching him play. You enjoy, like Salah a couple of years ago, maybe not quite to the same extent in terms of the whirlwind I talked about, but just the things he does, the kind of the impudence of it and the the flair, that, that's the extra ingredient, I think. that that's, that's what makes him a special player and a special player in this team. Maybe around the end of November, I would have said he would have been favourite to win the individual individual awards at that point because he was scoring every week and there were big goals and brilliant goals and, and uh, important goals, important times, stepping up all the time. I, th- I feel like, you know, over the winter months, I think that's when I would say that people like Henderson and Van Dyke maybe came to the fore a bit more. There were those series of games, Wolves away and Tottenham away, Man United at home. Throughout January and February, it felt like it was a real, it was becoming a grind for Liverpool um, at times. 
And that's when I, I would possibly say that the more defensive players started to sort of define their campaign. But even then, it was a, the goalie popped up with at Norwich, the goalie scored against West Ham, goal against Bournemouth. He, he's, he's, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. It's not just the goals or the assists. It's not the numbers. It's the fact that he, I think defenders and, and, and opponents just cannot relax. You can sometimes almost relax with Salah. Because he's, although you know that if he gets the ball in a certain area, he will score. Mane is is the one who who is a threat wherever he gets the ball and will will create something wherever he gets it. He's a brilliant player. I would have had him as my number one earlier in the season, but I think I think over the course of the season, I, I, I'd perhaps look elsewhere in terms of first choice. Okay, a word from you, Simon, on him, and then. Who will win it and who should win it? But a word on Mane, first of all. I agree with what Ollie says there. I think that November time, most productive player in the league, the most exciting player to watch. And again, I go back to that game at Villa Park where, I for me, that was the the the, the game, the most important victory in Liverpool season many, way, many ways because they, they had Manchester City the following week and I think the gap was quite narrow at that point. So Liverpool had dropped points at Villa and then potentially dropped points against City, even lost, you know, lose them at Anfield, which was a possibility. That could have changed the season, the whole direction of the season. And obviously Liverpool were losing the game up until the 90, 87th minute, at which point Mane delivered an assist for Andy Robertson and then scored the winner himself deep in injury time. And he was absolutely flying at that moment. So for me, that he delivered the, the defining moment of the season in many ways for Liverpool there. And I mean, I, th- I think he, he sort of suffered from, I mean, he had, a, he had an injury, didn't he, through January, February time where I think he only missed two Premier League games. But um, there was a couple of FA Cup games in that period. And that's at the time when people are starting to talk about sort of the the, the, the player of the year. I think Liverpool won 2-0 and, and 4-0 in that period. And I just think, you know, in people's consciousness, he drifted away because Liverpool were, were doing so well. But yeah, for me, brilliant player. I think if you were to, to, to nominate a player of 2019 as a year, you know, Definitely Liverpool's player of the year for 2019, whether it be the, the, the English player or the, the, the Premier League player that year, that year is maybe another debate, uh, but I suppose we don't have time for that. <laughs> no. <laughs> so who will win it and who should win it? Simon, I think it's fairly obvious from you what you think, but you go first. Well, for me, yeah, J- Jordan Henderson to, to win the... To, uh, I think you, you've got to take into consideration the achievements, not just of the player, but the, the, the team that he's playing for and where his influence has pushed that team, whichever player that may be. And there's just no doubt for me that, that, that Jordan Henderson has been central to all the good things that Liverpool have done. I think he's actually, I mean, I think he's really improved as a player in the last 12 to 18 months. You know, he's doing things now that that he wasn't doing a few years ago. Yeah, for me, it's got to be him. Okay, Ollie. I would bring it down to two, and, and it would be Henderson and, and, and De Bruyne. And, and I think De Bruyne has been brilliant. I carried that team. I think if I'd seen less of Liverpool than I have done, I would probably say De Bruyne over Henderson. I think most people who watch Liverpool a lot are saying Henderson. And I think that just tells you that, that he's, he's... I mean, look, the team hasn't really needed carrying, but it's probably needed dragging through, through difficult periods in this season and difficult pe- periods in matches. And I think that's what he's done. And I think that has defined the season. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a case of of me wanting to, to frame a certain, my, my vote around a certain narrative, but rather than, <laughs> rather than, rather than, you know, rather than 
objectively looking at who has been a standout player, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to say Henderson, and um, I think he's been, um, I think he's been excellent, and I can still understand why people would query it. But I think journalists and their agendas, hey Sam, God, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, Man City and their fans know all about the journalist agenda, so. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, better, they better hope that I fight the corner now. I, I think I think Henderson will win it. I I I still like Van Dyke. I think I still think Van Dyke. I know his main importance was kind of last season, but I still think he's equally as important. And in the same way as Salah is kind of a victim of his success, you know, Van Dyke is still doing what he was doing, but it's kind of like old news now. He, he gets a bit taken for granted, but I think he's. He's still as important. And, you know, my stupid criteria of being technically brilliant player in his own right and very important to his team, he, he satisfies my stupid criteria. So I would like that. <laughs> uh, thank you very much to all three of you. Uh, don't forget, all the winners will be announced uh, from 7 o'clock uh, on Sunday. So make sure you have downloaded the Athletic app for that. And you can subscribe now and have a 90-day free trial by going to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and